Hey, what's up, Access? This is Nick Mayo, and I am excited to kick off a new series that Pastor Jake and I are doing right here on the Access podcast called The Upside Down Kingdom. We're going to be going over this series for the next few weeks, and we're going to really dive into some of the depths of the kingdom of God. And if you've been going to Res Life for any length of time, you know that we say we have a heart for the kingdom. But what does that actually mean? What is the kingdom? What's the kingdom of God look like? And how do we interact with it? What does it mean for our life? But before we go into that, I hope you guys are doing extremely well. I hope you guys are staying uh, cool. <laughs> a couple months ago, we would be saying, I hope you guys are staying warm. But now we are full swing into summer, as my dad used to say when, uh, when I was growing up. It is hotter than blazes out there, which I don't quite know what that means, but uh, I know it means it's really hot, and it certainly is. Emily and I have been getting out and doing a lot of hiking lately, and uh, I feel like I'm sweating out all sorts of impurities out of my body. So, super excited about that, but really, really excited to be with you guys today. Uh, I'm going to try and approach today's topic, and and we are going into the kingdom today, but uh, I wouldn't say that I'm going to necessarily dive into the the meat of what this series is about until maybe my message next week, and then Pastor Jake will come on uh, following that, and then we're going to have a conversation episode at the end of all this. But today, I really want to break down some initial concepts that we must understand before we dive into kingdom language. Uh, there's certain thought processes that we have as Western American democracy ran individuals that we need to break out of. Jesus would say we need to repent from, change the way we think in order to be able to receive the truth about the kingdom. And that's what much of today is designed to do is really kind of lay a foundation to where then we can build this series upon and really get some great, great meat and sustenance and and just a way of life from this kingdom reality that we're going to be talking about. So uh, without further ado, let me pray us into this episode. And uh, if you have any questions throughout the next couple of episodes, feel free to reach out to Pastor Jake and myself. You can send it over to Access. You can send it over to us personally. And then in that conversation episode that Pastor Jake and I do, uh, we can actually break down some of you guys' questions and maybe dive a little bit deeper uh, into the topic. So let's get going. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. God, we thank you for uh, this podcast. God, we thank you for the ability to be able to uh, come together, join together, and just be edified and encouraged with your word through this medium of, of listening, this medium of, of just feasting our minds upon the kingdom realities. God, I pray that this message, that this podcast would go out to bless and serve each and every individual that's listening, whether they attend Access or whether they've stumbled upon this podcast in some other way. God, I just pray that you would bless them. God, that that you would anoint these words and that all of my words would fall aside. And God, that your truth would remain uh, and would be established through this message, this conversation, and, uh, and then the messages to come. God, we are so for your kingdom. And God, we just ask for a greater revelation of what that looks like. Jesus, you told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And and I just pray that you would give me, myself, and then every listener here a better understanding and more revelation of what that reality looks like, what the reality of your kingdom looks like, and how we can partner with you in establishing it here on earth. 
So, Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is by far one of my all-time favorite topics to discuss. We, in, in the discipleship program, the students, we talk about the kingdom of heaven quite a bit. And one of the big things that we do within the discipleship program is we, we kind of hijack the worldview that people uh, tend to carry and we bring it back over to more of a biblical worldview. And there's some key components that we need to have in order to maintain and operate within a kingdom uh, or a, a biblical worldview. And in those topics that we need to really kind of grasp our minds around are very much within the realm of the kingdom. Uh, but there's an issue is most of us walking around here in America that is not a kingdom in that sense uh, have a very skewed understanding of what a kingdom is. We also have a very skewed understanding of what governance is, right? We, we live in a democracy. We get to vote rulers in. We get to vote on laws. We get to vote and we cast our vote in front of uh, you know, legislation and all these different things. And, and we start to, to co-labor together to build the, the culture of what America is. And there's some parts of that, the co-laboring part that makes a lot of sense within the kingdom, but the ultimate structure of the kingdom actually comes from a king down, not from the people up. And this is something that we must, must, must grapple with and wrap our minds around before we can get deep into being able to operate within kingdom reality. And so uh, let me pause that and let me jump into just, you guys have heard me say this and Pastor Jake say this. We've talked about this over and over at Access, but Jesus's entire ministry when we look at all the Gospels, right, the stories of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, his entire ministry is about the kingdom, right? He gets baptized. John the baptizer baptizes him in the Jordan River. He comes up immediately. The Holy Spirit leads him up into the wilderness to fast, to pray, but then to be tempted by the enemy. And he comes down from those 40 days and he kicks off his inaugural message, right? It's Matthew 4, 17. And it's the very first words that Jesus says. He says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys are probably sick and tired of me saying this because I bring this up so much. We cover this so much. But this was Jesus' message. This from here on out is the lens in which we must see Christ's message is repent Rich, once again, that word repent there is metanoia or metanoia. And it means to think in a completely different way. He's saying think completely differently because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But I really want to emphasize how important the kingdom message was in the life of Christ, in the message of Christ. In fact, the word kingdom in, in, is found 55 times in Matthew alone, 20 times in Mark alone, 46 times in Luke alone, and then in John's gospel, it's said five times. All that together is 106 or 126 times within the Gospels. Obviously, some of those are parallels. Some of those actually are the same message recounted by the Synoptic Gospels. But at the same time, we can see the heavy emphasis 
on the kingdom of God. In fact, like I said, it was Jesus's entire ministry. His entire message was about the kingdom of God. In Acts, it says that after his death, burial, and resurrection, after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples and he taught them and preached to them about what? That's right, the kingdom of God. And we can see such a central staple of the message of Christ for the kingdom of God. Again, like I said in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us that we must pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and those two things are actually saying the same thing. Your kingdom come and your will be done is actually restating the same thing. Because God's kingdom, if we want to jump into this, a very easy way to describe God's kingdom is where his will is done. So where God's desire, where his heartbeat, where what he wants done is done, that is where the kingdom is. And, and we're going to break this down in the coming weeks to where when we look at this aspect of the upside down kingdom, there's, there's various different, there's, there's plenty of different things that come with that. Jesus was painting a picture of what kingdom reality looked like, both by the words he spoke. Again, we're seeing his words are constantly modeled around the kingdom, but then also in the life he lived. Everything that Jesus preached, he also lived, and everything he lived was a part of his preaching. And when we see the person of Jesus, God in flesh, walking among us, we see a kingdom reality breaking into this reality. And it's so, so beautiful. And if we could wrap our minds around these things, right, like Colossians says, to set our minds on things above, to set our minds on eternal, th eternal things, not eternal, that'd be strange, <laughs> But eternal things, uh, wrapping our minds around this allows that culture to just penetrate inside of us. And that's what this series is geared for. But the, the kingdom of God is so drastically different than the kingdoms of earth. So again, we could say this in one of two ways. The first is that the kingdom is an upside down kingdom, meaning it's completely different than the ways and the systems of our world. But then the second way that we could say this is the kingdom of God is actually the right side up kingdom because the world systems are the ones that are truly misaligned and upside down. So however way we want to say it, both truths are a reality that the kingdom of God is so drastically different. And what that means for us is if we go in with just our regular mindsets into the kingdom of God, we can actually miss what Jesus is saying. We can miss what Paul and Peter and John and all the different, you know, letters that we have that compile the New Testament, all the different truths that we can hear all these things in an improper lens. If we don't understand that the way the kingdom operates is so much different than the way the earth operates, than the way the systems of the earth operates, than the way the systems of our government operates. So many different things, so many different lenses need to be changed from our eyes in order for us to see rightly. So no wonder Jesus says, repent, think differently. You're going to have to think from a completely new mindset. You're going to have to think from a completely new way in order for you to see the kingdom reality that is at hand. Now, what does it mean for something to be at hand? Right? There's, there's a couple different ways that we could describe this. I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I'm, I'm reaching out and I'm grabbing my kitchen table right now. I can say my kitchen table is at hand because I can reach out and interact with it. 
if, if I was in the living room, I couldn't say necessarily that the kitchen table was at hand. I would have to actually go and move into the kitchen to be able to say that the kitchen table was at hand. So when Jesus is saying that the kingdom of, of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying it's right here in your midst. And if you change the way you think, and, and also if you change the way you look, you'll be able to perceive the very reality that's at play all around you. Another way I was thinking about this this morning is, is the air, right? So when we think of the kingdom of heaven, there's so much of it. And Jesus himself says, you're not going to be able to look and perceive the kingdom, not with regular eyes. There's, there's it, the kingdom of heaven at this point is really kind of an invisible kingdom. And, and that could be so abstract for us. And we could go, how am I supposed to believe in something that's invisible? But then at the same time, when you think about air, right now, wherever you're seated, uh, hopefully you're surrounded by air. If you're not surrounded by air, it means you're in a vacuum. And I hope that there is help on its way. But if you're, you're seated in just a regular atmosphere, there is air all around you. But I can look across the room and I could see the light switch across the room because the air is not impeding my ability to see across the room. At the same time, there is a density or a chasm or a uh, space in between me and the light switch across the room that is filled with air. So the air is at hand even though I can't necessarily see it. But when we see a move of air, we call it wind, across a tree, we can see how air can actually interact with something. And there's the reality of the invisible interacting with the reality of the visible. I can see the tree and I know the air is there and I know the wind is blowing because of the way the tree is interacting with it. In the same way that the kingdom of heaven moves in our midst and when we see it moving in our midst and recognize it moving on the various different things that it's moving on around us, we can perceive the things of the reality of the kingdom at hand. And think about the air again and think about tornadoes and typhoons and the immense power and pressure and, and just the magnitude that air can have when it's moving at such force uh, that it could actually destroy things, that it could actually overcome things, that it could actually upturn root systems of trees and all these different things. And the same thing goes for the kingdom, that when we actually perceive and partner with the kingdom of God, there is power that comes with it that can uproot systems and structures and actually establish new things, right? The air comes across, the wind comes across plants and actually moves pollen and seed. It actually shakes fruit free from trees and actually plays a large impactful part of the planting system of the world, of actually spreading the fruit in the seed of the world to expand forests and, and various different things like that. And when we take that analogy, which I'm sure we could run the, the analogy of the wind to its ending point, but there is no ending point of the kingdom. So eventually our analogy of the wind would fall short. But if we just think about it through those lenses, we can start to see that there is a greater reality around us that is, even though it's invisible, it's still a greater reality. So hopefully that starts to paint a picture 
of a little bit of what Jesus was saying here of repent, think in a completely different way. He would often say, you know, for those who have eyes, let them see. For those who have ears, let them hear. And then he tells the disciples, even though they see, they don't see. Even though they hear, they don't understand. So there's a way that we must learn to look at the kingdom through a spiritual lens partnered with the Holy Spirit to where these realities can come real to us. And much like the wind, we can reach out into the air and actually touch the atmosphere that is very real around us, even though we can't necessarily see it. So once again, what is the kingdom of God? I said it earlier, but to put it simply, the kingdom is wherever God's will is displayed. So his will is his desire, his intent, his directive force, right? Uh, the, the different things that are just residing in his heart. Wherever that is on display, there is the kingdom of God. And, and that's, again, there's a reality around us to where the, the heartbeat of the Father is at hand. But it's not always established on earth. And that's where Jesus gives us that prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. There's the greater reality of God's heartbeat that's all around us. And we can tap into it. And we've seen Jesus tap into it. He was able to walk up to the blind, to the sick, to the lepers. And he was able to touch them, reach out to them, and actually connect them with the presence of God's heartbeat that was already all around. That was in Jesus, but then also all around Jesus. And Jesus was both containing, but then operating within the kingdom of heaven, within God's heartbeat. And God's will was manifesting in these areas. When somebody comes to know Christ and they come to receive salvation, it's because they've entered into a portion of the heavens. They've entered into a portion of the kingdom and they have both touched and been touched by God's heart. So again, the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty, he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he's saying, anytime I've tapped into the presence of God to operate and move from the heartbeat of God, you have experienced the kingdom within your midst. And the presence and heartbeat of God is always there right? If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And David in the Psalms says, where can I go that you are not there? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the pits of Sheol, to the pits of hell, to the grave, you're there too. He's saying, I can't get away from your presence. So God's kingdom is all around, even if it's not manifest necessarily in that particular moment. Put even simpler, wherever God's heart and desire is, the kingdom is. So the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It's where what he wants done is done. And this is, this is part of mankind's original vocational work, is to actually establish the kingdom of God on earth. And, and when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the mandate of go forth, be fruitful and multiply. And then he tells them, take dominion over the earth. Rule over the earth, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the creepy crawly things on the ground. Take dominion. And when we take that word kingdom, it's king's dominion. And, and the, the kingdom of God comes with a dominion of God, right? It comes with a king as well. We're going to talk about that here in a second. 
But God's original design for mankind was to submit to God's kingdom and to be able to actually go forward into the earth and do kingdom work and establish on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom come. Adam and Eve had their own kingdoms, right, and queendoms. But their kingdoms and queendoms were always meant to be submitted to God's kingdom. Uh, that gets a little confusing, but at the same time, we're going to break this down as we go. And again, today isn't necessarily talking about all the aspects of the kingdom as much as I'm trying to just break down the reality of the kingdom and give us some some baseline of where we need to build upon. So we become citizens of the kingdom, right? This is God redeeming us back to that original design. Adam and Eve, as kings and queens, or as rulers in a royal priesthood, were supposed to be moving forward with God's kingdom active in all places and being able to establish that kingdom everywhere else. So when Christ, as king and as redeemer, as savior, brings us back into God's kingdom, he's actually restoring us back into this original vocation. And we become citizens of this kingdom. But there's something important that we must understand. If I were to move across seas and become a citizen of France, I am not yet French. <laughs> I, would, I would still carry much of the culture of America. And much of the culture of America has been ingrained into my system. It has been massaged into my being since birth. So that means when I become a citizen of France, I'm not yet operating as a citizen of France. I just have the citizenship of France. In the meantime, I have to allow the culture of France, the language of France, and just the, the way of France to operate on me, do a work in me in order for me to then truly become French, for a lack of better terminology. And in fact, I could actually carry <laughs> like a false culture here in America. I could walk around. Some of you guys have heard me say this before. And I could go, oh, wee wee. And I could do that for a certain amount of time. And I might be able to fool some people. And I might actually be able to fool myself into thinking that I have French culture in me because I can go, oh, wee wee. And I could sound like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> but as soon as I get over to the culture of France, and I start going into restaurants and I start trying to order things by just saying, ho, ho, wee, wee. Uh, they're going to probably smack me <laughs> and they're going to look at me really funny because there's a, a reality, the culture of the culture that's happening there that's going to confront my false reality of the culture that I have or that I carry. In the same way, if I carry my American culture over to France, their culture is going to butt heads with my American culture and it's going to butt heads enough until I either give up and walk away or I submit to the culture that's at hand out there. And this is the same thing with the kingdom. When Jesus saves us into the kingdom, yes, we are then citizens of the kingdom, but we have not yet had the, if I could say it this way, the kingdom ingrained within us. There's a culture that needs to get worked in and massaged into our being before we are naturally moving within the actual culture of that kingdom. So let's talk about culture for a second. And again, all these things are building of groundwork and a base level for us to build upon from here on out. Webster Dictionary defines culture as a multitude of things. And I'm going to give you a large list here. 
The culture is a customary belief or social forms, material traits of a racial, religious, or a social group. So again, customary beliefs and social forms, right? Next, it's also the characteristics featured of everyday existence, such as diversions or a way of life shared by a people in a place or a time. So it's the customary beliefs, right? We're told to believe in Christ. It's because he is king. And when we put our belief in our core belief in, and trust in him, it is now allowing us to subject ourselves to his kingdom. Secondary is the characteristic features of everyday existence. Or, again, a way of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So again, we start to see where Jesus came and he wasn't only proclaiming the kingdom of heaven was at hand, but the language he was using. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father, the King, except through me. He's actually displaying the culture of the kingdom. He's actually giving an invitation for people to step into the very culture of the kingdom that is at hand. The kingdom that's all around. The kingdom of God where his heartbeat, where his will, and where his his just desire is done everywhere and anywhere. Next, Webster says, it's also... A set of shared values, attitudes, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization, and in this case, the kingdom. It's a set of attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution. Again, we see Jesus forming disciples and ingraining in them the attitudes, the values, the goals, and the practices of the life of the kingdom. When Jesus was taking on disciples, he wasn't just taking them on just so he can walk with a crew of, uh, you know, <laughs> like his homies. He was actually taking them on to be the first representatives of the kingdom to where he could massage in them. Again, if I could use this this language, because I, I for me at least it paints the picture of, of just working the attitude, the culture of the kingdom deep down into our core. And then the last part is the integrated pattern of human knowledge, belief, behavior that depends on a capacity for learning and transmitting knowledge to succeeding generations. That's why we have preaching and teaching. That's why God gave in Ephesians 12 the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To do, uh, you know, we have doctrine, we have scripture that is good for teaching and edifying and correcting and challenging and really pouring into individuals. So again, we see once more that the entire New Testament reality and really when we look at the entire Bible is actually built around a kingdom worldview. It's actually built around establishing a culture of a kingdom, which again is an upside down kingdom. This culture is so countercultural. This this way of life, this attitude of life is so, so different. It's how Paul could be in prison and tell people, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Whereas he himself is rejoicing in prison because he's moving from a completely different set of rules. He's moving from a completely different way because the kingdom of heaven does not submit to the earthly reality. Our earthly reality actually submits to the kingdom of heaven. So culture 
once again, I, I said it earlier, can be faked among individuals outside of the culture. But when somebody steps into the culture, into a real culture, and they try carrying outside principles of a different culture, it starts to get confronted. That's why Paul talks about the discipline of the Lord. And how the discipline of the Lord, he talks about this in Hebrews 12, is, well, whether or not it was Paul, <laughs> I, I think it may have been Paul, but whoever it was that wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, is talking about the, the discipline of the Lord and how a good father actually chastises his children because he's actually correcting a false culture in them and actually getting them congruent with moving in the ways of his heartbeat. And when we move in the ways of God's heartbeat, another way of saying that is when we move in the reality of the kingdom, God's provision, the king's provision, his resources, his protection, and his comfort come with that. Again, we have to move away from our democracy type mindset to where we picture ourselves here in America. And we have to actually go back to a Old Testament, New Testament reality of a kingdom to where we realize there is no kingdom without a king. And a kingdom can only have one king. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast is... We are so used to being able to vote in the rules, regulations, and authorities, but in a kingdom, there is only one sovereign. There is only one Lord. And Lord isn't, we, I, I think we tend to think of Lord as God. We, we use those interchangeably. We think, oh yeah, God, Lord, same thing. And it is the same thing because they're both talking about the same person. But Lord is actually an old way of saying king ruler master when somebody called somebody lord it means whatever you say goes for my life so when somebody came up and, and said to jesus lord they weren't always necessarily recognizing jesus as god but they were recognizing his authority over their life and when we understand this from a kingdom perspective and we see that every kingdom has a king and there can only be one king in a kingdom then it realizes, or we realize, that God's say, his rule, his reign is what goes. And if, I, if I'm not going to allow his rule and his reign in my life, then I can't say that I've submitted to the kingdom. But I just want to remind us that many of us like the idea of Jesus as Savior, but we don't always like the idea of Jesus as Lord or Jesus as king, or Jesus as master of our life, and the two are not separable. We can't have Jesus as savior and not take Jesus as Lord because I'm not, we can't split Jesus down the center. It's a, it's a one and done. We get both and we have to submit to both, but there's a joy to submitting it to Jesus as king. Think about a kingdom in your mind and think about the, the gates of the kingdom, the, the walls that would go around and everything within that kingdom, right? I get pictures of like King Arthur and these different things in the past. Everything within that kingdom is under the rule and dominion of that king. Well, when we expand that out and realize that there really isn't any ultimate walls to God's kingdom, that his rule and reign really goes through everything. We see that when we fast forward over to Revelation, when Jesus comes onto the, the scene and he comes back in his second coming, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess. So at the end of the day, we realize, okay, he is sovereign, he is Lord, and he is God. And, and there is a reality to that. But go back to that picture of the kingdom. 
that anybody who is operating within that kingdom, when they had a good king, and this is also another issue that we have throughout history, we've seen all sorts of imperfect, corrupt kings. Even in Jesus' time, there was Herod and there was Caesar, and we see these corrupt kings that were after power and authority and trying to usurp different people and all sorts of different things like that. But when we get a picture of a good king, a righteous king, a loving king, which is who God is, and he reveals himself as that over and over and over throughout scripture, those who live within the walls of his kingdom or those who live within the expanse of his kingdom get to operate within his goodness, mercy, love, and kindness. They get to actually operate within the the just abundance of the king. He would throw parties, right? There's times where a king would throw parties and invite everybody in and everybody would be seated there eating with him at a dinner table, which again, we get that picture from Jesus in scripture once again. Hopefully this is a large repentance moment for many of us. I I know that when I came to understanding or, or trying to wrap my mind around a kingdom, versus what I was used to, a democracy. Uh, when When I started wrapping my mind around this, all of a sudden, Scripture started coming alive. Jesus's words started coming alive because I'd seen, oh my word, he's giving me kingdom language here. When he, when he gives this rule, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There's, there's not a, uh, I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to lord over you in, in this like, you know, oppressive thumb coming down. It was actually a beautiful invitation into living within the abundance of his kingdom, which David says, my king, my God owns uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, right? There's just, there's an unceasing abundance to who God is. And in his kingdom, that same unceasing abundance is there. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat or drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And there's an abundance of these things. Righteousness, peace, and joy are just flowing in the the courts of the kingdom of God. And again, the kingdom is at hand. And when we go into talking about the various different ways the kingdom is so different and how we can operate with the culture of kingdom and then tap into the reality of kingdom, how it could actually transform our life, we need, to, we need to keep all of this through this lens of this is kingdom language. This is so much different than anything that I understand. And actually, Jesus talking to the, the Jews, the Pharisees, the, uh, even the centurion guards and different people that would be around when Jesus was speaking back then, he was having to get them to change the way they think too because the way they seen kingdom being operated even though they were living in kingdom, Caesar was a king, Herod was a, a ruler within the Jewish kingdom, and, and there's these different aspects that the, the kingdom that people understood back then was so drastically different than the kingdom that God's bringing in. But now we've moved 2,000 years forward, and we've moved so far away from the aspect of kingdom language that we ourselves need an even greater repentance moment to change the way that we think, to be able to think through the lens of kingdom. I I have some other things that I wanted to go into, but I, I do need to get closing this out here in a second. But let me just paint the picture of why we would want Jesus to be king. Why is that a a good thing? In fact, that is the good news. The good news includes salvation, but ultimately the good news, the gospel, 
is that Jesus is the long-awaited king of the Jews, but then also king of human history. Not only Jews, but Gentiles included. And Jesus is the Old Testament prophecy fulfillment of the king of God coming into his land and establishing the rule and reign of God everywhere that there is a where. But why would this be good news for us? Why would I want Jesus as king? Because in, in a lot of ways, in my own personal life, I actually like being king of myself, if I'm just being honest. I think all of us can really do a self-assessment and go, yeah, I've, I've really tried to lord over my own life for quite some time. Uh, but there's such a great reality when we actually realize that Jesus being king is a beautiful, beautiful, brilliant thing. And it's not whether or not we get to choose that he's king. He's king no matter what. But we do get to choose whether or not we're going to realize that for our life. But one of the big things that, that shifted this whole thing for me was when I think back to the beginning. So often I like to be Lord of my own life when my thought process is just solely focused around me and my world. When I think from my birth to whenever I die, I just want that to be my kingdom. And I start to make it all about me. But when I remove myself from my timeline and I actually go to the grand timeline. And I go back to Genesis 1 and I see in the beginning was God. This is before creation, right? When, when I go to John 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word the word was with God and the word was God. And, and then it paints this beautiful picture on how Jesus being the word of God then created everything and everything that was, was because Jesus created it. He spoke it into existence. He willed it into existence. He himself manifested it into existence. And just think about that for a second. There's so many scientists that are trying to disprove the kingdom of God because they want to try and prove their own kingdom. And they go, well, if you say that God created this, well, I'll show you that I can be God too because I can create that as well. But the issue is, is they had something to go off of. They had a point of reference. God was there before there was a point of reference. God was there before there was creation, which Jesus is God. He was there before there was creation. And, and we must try and just sit and ponder on that today. We must wrap our minds around this in order to understand why it's such a good news that Jesus is king and why we should be so apt to hear and so apt to, he to see the kingdom that he's announcing because it's so much greater than the reality that we've made. He created where there was no creation before. He created where there is no point of reference before and then just beautifully created and designed creation to work so harmoniously together. I mean, when you think about the, the, just the beauty of creation and you see how everything has come together in such a beautiful way, you start to realize, wait a second, God knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. And as king, he probably knows how to rule and reign in a much better way than I do. I was reading this morning in Colossians. Colossians 1, I'm going to start in 15, talking about Jesus. The supremacy of Christ is what my Bible labels this section as. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created. Jesus himself created the heavens. He created the earth. No point of reference. 
So it says, For in him all things on heaven and on earth, or in heaven and on earth, were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. We must keep that in mind. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And, and before we can go into the upside-down kingdom reality, we first need to ask ourselves, does Jesus truly have first place in my life? Have I allowed him to be king of my life, or have I just tried to reap the benefits of him being savior of my life? Have I actually realized that the way I've been moving is so different and so incongruent with the kingdom of heaven? And, and in a repentance moment, it's not to shame us, but there, there is oftentimes godly sorrow that comes from that. Of just realizing, man, my life is so inconsistent and incongruent with the reality of heaven. And it's probably because I haven't truly allowed Jesus to be king of my life. Before I could ever expect to be able to operate within the kingdom of God, I must recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. It's actually in recognizing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that we have the ability to boldly approach the throne. Again, that's kingdom language on display. Who's on the throne? The King. Who's the King? God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, I just really hope that this picture that we painted today helps us to go into the realities of the kingdom because we need to shift from our westernized American thought process and move ourselves back into a way of being able to think through a lens of the kingdom. So I, I just give you the assignment this week to really start looking for kingdom language. Maybe start going online and start researching what actually is a kingdom and, and do a lot of fact checking on some of these websites that you come across. But, but just start going down the, the avenue and asking Holy Spirit to guide you into reshaping the thought process. That's a metanoia moment. That's a repentance moment is Holy Spirit shape my mind to be able to perceive things from a kingdom reality. So, Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your kingdom reality, God. I, I, I know that there is so much more that we can go into based around the ideas, the aspects, and the truths of a kingdom. It's so much different than what we know. And God, I just ask that you would give us the grace, the understanding, the wisdom to, to be able to move into these things. Paul calls them the mysteries of creation, the mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries of the kingdom. God, that these mysteries would be revealed to us in our, in our lives, in our hearts, and God, that we would truly grapple with this idea of what a kingdom reality actually is, and that we would get a greater revelation of what it looks like to surrender to the supremacy to the, the sovereignty and to the, the rule and reign of Jesus as king. And Jesus, we just take now to recognize and to declare you are king. You are king and I am not. You've given me rule and say over areas, but God, I submit to you. We submit to you and we say, you know what you're doing. You're the smartest person on the planet and, uh, and your will is so much better for my life than my will. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, hey, thank you guys. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you, or at least talk to you, on the next podcast episode. Peace. Thank you.